Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Previously On, a podcast series created to help you through some of the most complex yet brilliant television ever made. Game of Thrones, Season 8. We open on the cold approach to Winterfell, where a relatively warm welcome awaits the arrival of some rather important people. Jon and Daenerys, flanked by the forces of the Unsullied and Dothraki, arrive, riding side by side through the throngs of very white and slightly suspicious northerners. Arya watches from the crowds, almost calling out to Jon before deciding against it. She then spots her old nemesis, the Hound, closely followed by her old friend Gendry, which brings a smile to her lips. The distrust of the locals towards the new arrivals quickly turns to fear when Daenerys's remaining dragons, Drogon and Rhaegal, roar and soar overhead, causing the northern folk to scatter. Entering the gates, Jon rushes to plant a kiss upon the forehead of the waiting Bran, who Jon hasn't seen since he left to join the Night's Watch back in Season 1. He introduces Daenerys to Sansa, who side-eye each other frostily, before Bran declares there is no time for this, adding, in that ominous way he now has, that the Night King has Daenerys' dragon, the wall has fallen, and the dead march south. What a buzzkill. At a meeting, Sansa asks Lord Umber, nothing more than a young boy, when his people will arrive at Winterfell in light of the news broken by Bran. The little lord says he needs more horses and wagons. Sansa agrees and tells him to go and fetch his people as soon as possible. Tension then fills the room as Lyanna Mormont, the fiery but awesome 13-year-old head of House Mormont, questions who Jon actually is, pointing out that he left them as king in the north, but returned as nothing at all with Daenerys at his side as queen. Tyrion steps forward to defend Jon, saying that if anyone survives the coming war, they'll have Jon Snow to thank. However, he then mentions that the Lannister army is to join the fight and quickly loses the room again. Sansa questions how on earth they're going to feed the army and the dragons, asking what do dragons even eat? To which Daenerys answers, whatever they want. They don't seem particularly friendly, those two. A short time later, Tyrion and Sansa, theoretically still married, maybe, catch up after a long time apart. Tyrion notes that most who underestimated Sansa are now dead, while Sansa doubts Tyrion's claim that Cersei will even send the Lannister army to the north as she promised. Under a weirwood tree, Jon and Arya reunite, continuing the mirroring theme of the first episode of season one. Arya tells Jon that she and Sansa are defending their family and tells him not to forget that he is family too. <coughs> Down in King's Landing, the Iron Fleet, led by Euron Greyjoy, has arrived. Aboard the fleet are the Golden Company, an army of 20,000 sellswords. Below decks, Euron's got his niece Yara captive. Uncle Euron torments her and tells her of his plan to bed Queen Cersei. Before the Iron Throne, Euron arrives and presents Captain Strickland, who's the leader of the Golden Company, to Cersei. He then uses his natural charm and arrogance to impress her before succeeding in his bid to get jiggy with her. Elsewhere and also succeeding, Bronn is in bed accompanied by three prostitutes. He's interrupted by Kyburn, hand of the Queen to Cersei, who tells him that in return for a serious stash of gold, she wants him to kill her treacherous brothers, Jaime and Tyrion. Bronn is then presented with Joffrey's crossbow. Kyburn hints that should he succeed with this poetic justice, his payment will be even greater. On the decks of the Iron Fleet there is bloodshed as rejuvenated Theon rescues Yara, she repays him with a headbutt, probably fair, before offering him her hand. As the pair sail away, it's decided that Theon will go north to assist the defence of Winterfell, whilst Yara will return to take the Iron Islands with Euron away. 
back in Winterfell, Daenerys is concerned that her dragons are off their food, so she and Jon pay them a visit. Daenerys offers Jon the chance to ride one of the dragons alongside her. He climbs on and they take to the sky, swooping and soaring above the walls of Winterfell and the snowy countryside. They land before a waterfall and kiss, again mirroring earlier episodes where Jon and Egret got together in a cave. The Hound and Arya come face to face in Winterfell in another slightly frosty reunion. Things are warmer, however, when Arya reunites with Gendry and asks him to make her a weapon of her own design, some kind of dragon glass with a detachable blade. Interesting. John and Sansa argue about Daenerys. Sansa asks John if he bent the knee to save the North or because he loves her. John doesn't answer. Daenerys and Jorah startle Sam Tarly in the Winterfell Library. Daenerys wants to reward Sam for saving Jorah. He cured his grayscale, remember? During the conversation, Sam learns that Daenerys executed his father and brother for refusing to bend the knee. Teary-eyed, he bumps into Bran outside, who again, as a buzzkill, says he hasn't got time for that. He's got to go and tell Jon the truth about who he is. If you remember, in the last episode of Season 7, Samuel and Bran realised that Jon is the true heir to the Iron Throne, Aegon Targaryen. In the crypts of Winterfell, Sam indeed finds Jon and delivers the earth-shattering news. <gasps> Meanwhile, further north, having fled the fall of the wall, Tormund Giantsbane, Beric Dondarrion and a group of men enter the ruins of an old building with swords drawn. Preparing to fight, they instead run into another group from the wall led by Edison Tollett. The two groups join forces and find young Lord Umber, remember the kid from the earlier Winterfell meeting, dead and pinned to a wall, surrounded by a pattern of severed limbs. That pattern of limbs is almost now the Night King's calling card. As they ponder the sight before them, the seemingly deceased Lord suddenly opens his eyes and screeches. He's now an undead white and attempts to attack Tormund before Beric kills him with his flaming sword. Back in Winterfell, Kingslayer Jaime Lannister arrives, smiling as he takes in the surroundings, before his face drops like a boy from a tower when he locks eyes with Bran. Jamie is hauled before Daenerys in the court of the North to explain why he should be trusted and where the hell Cersei's army is. They were supposed to be joining forces. Jamie agrees he's been lied to as well, but he made a promise to fight for the living, so here he is. Tyrion leaps to his defence, but given he believes Cersei too, isn't given much of a hearing. Sansa joins in, condemning Jamie, reminding him of his actions in betraying her father, Ned. Jamie tries to defend himself, reminding everyone that they were at war at the time, but states that this fight goes beyond loyalty and is about survival. It mirrors a speech that Brienne, one of his only friends in the room, once gave to him, so she takes the opportunity to stand up for him and addresses Daenerys head-on, explaining how Jamie defended her against attackers which cost him his hand. Sansa questions whether she would fight alongside him. When Brienne says she would, Sansa accepts Jamie into the fold. John's asked about his feelings on the matter, but merely surmises they need every man they can get, so Daenerys relents. Preparations for the imminent battle are underway all over Winterfell. Moats and trenches are being dug, booby traps being laid, and soldiers are training hard. Gendry continues his role as Chief Smith, making weapons out of dragonglass. Arya asks for progress on the weapon she designed, and Gendry tells her she should be safer down in the crypt with the other women and children. You don't say that to Arya Stark, pal. Offended, she asks how bad the dead can really be. While Gendry reiterates that they're beyond anything he's ever seen, Arya shows her knife skills off by throwing daggers at a post with pinpoint accuracy, saying that she's seen death's face. Gendry's taken aback a bit and says he'll get on to making Arya's weapon pronto. In the Godswood, Jaime talks with Bran properly for the first time in an age and apologises for pushing him out of the window and crippling him in the very first episode. Bran reassures him he holds no anger towards him because without this chain of events, Bran wouldn't have become the Three-Eyed Raven. Jaime's mere culpa continues when he pledges his services to Brienne, who's taking charge of the left flank defence. This position's mentioned quite a lot, so it's probably important, and says it would be his honour to serve under her in the battle to come. Meanwhile, in Daenerys' quarters, Jorah explains why she should forgive Tyrion and Jaime for their past mistakes, as she once forgave him his. He says, as devastating as it was to lose the position of hand to the Queen, having Tyrion serve in the position is the better choice, as his mind is worth its weight in gold. Again, much like the left flank and the fact that we keep being reminded all the women and children are hiding in the crypt, Tyrion's great mind is brought up yet again. I guess we need to watch out for that. 
Daenerys meets with Sansa for clear the air talks, and they ultimately agree that Jon loves Daenerys and vice versa, despite his lack of height, and that this fight against the Night King is understandable, but what happens after that? Sansa starts to stake a claim for the North, but before things go south, they're interrupted with the arrival of Theon. He pledges his loyalty to the Queen and asks to fight for the Starks in the upcoming battle. Sansa embraces the man that freed her from the clutches of Ramsay Bolton with open arms. Jon is greeted by the returning forces of Ed, Beric and Tormund, and they deliver the devastating news about the losses at the last half from the last episode. Tormund explains the dead will be at Winterfell by morning. In the war room, Jon explains the battle strategy to everyone, saying their best chance at winning is to get the Night King himself, hoping then that the undead will fall alongside him. Bran proclaims the Night King will come for him because he is the way of wiping out the memory of all men. He offers himself up as bait, waiting in the godswood in the hope that the Night King will expose himself open to attack, and Theon offers to guard him. Grey Worm and Missandei pretty much seal their fate by making plans to escape to the sunshine of Narth, Missandei's home after the battle is over. I wouldn't print your boarding pass, mate. By a roaring fire in the meeting hall, Tyrion and Jaime discuss their past selves and are joined by Brienne, Podrick, Davos and finally Tormund. Tormund tells an amazing story about how he got the name Giant's Bane. It was by killing a giant when he was only ten years old and suckling at the teat of its widow for three months, making him strong. God, I love that man. Out on the walls, Arya and the Hound sit and talk and are joined by Beric. The Hound, as miserable as ever, bickers with him, and Arya says she's not going to spend her final hours with them and sets off back inside. While she's practising her archery, Gendry pops in to show her the weapon she ordered. Arya begins to question what Melisandre wanted with Gendry way back when. He explains she wanted his blood because he's the bastard of Robert Baratheon and got it by attaching leeches to his body. Arya asks if that was his first time with a woman. Flustered, Gendry answers no. She asks him how many other women he's been with. He again flusters before finally splitting out the number three, which probably means two, right lads? Arya, thinking that she'll probably die in the upcoming battle, decides she wants to lose her virginity before that happens, and in a rare Game of Thrones moment, a female finally has consensual intercourse on her own terms with someone she actually fancies. Bravo! Mm. Back in the meeting hall, the group talk about how many battles they've all been through and survived. Tyrion goes through everybody sat round and explains their victories in the field. When he gets to Brienne, he accidentally calls her Sir Brienne, correcting himself because females can't be knights. Tormund's offended and asks why she's not a knight, saying if he was a king he'd knight her ten times over. Jamie intervenes and explains that actually any knight can knight another person, before telling Brienne to take a knee and formally knighting her. In one of the best scenes in the whole of the goddamn series, Sir Brienne of Tarth, Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, rises, tears in her eyes and a big goofy grin on her face and is warmly congratulated by everyone in the room. Tyrion asks for a song to lift their spirits. One by one they decline until Podrick reveals a beautiful singing voice and sings a song called Jenny's Song, which is a teasing reference to Jenny of Old Stones. Aegon the fifth son, Duncan Targaryen, gave up his claim to the Iron Throne for Jenny's love. However, he died tragically at Summerhall when he tried to hatch dragon eggs and became a ghost that the song references. What can that mean? Hmm. In the crypt, in the crypt again, John's looking at the statue of Lyanna Stark. Daenerys appears and they begin to talk about her, and then John finally reveals his true parentage. Devastated and acting properly weird, Auntie Daenerys says he has a better claim to the Iron Throne than her, but before he gets a chance to respond, the warning horn is sounded three times. White Walkers. Ladies, gentlemen, and those of non-specific gender, it's time to brace yourselves. The Battle of Winterfell is about to commence. We begin with Samuel Tarly looking petrified as he's handed a dragon glass dagger in the Winterfell courtyard. All across the castle, the living are preparing to fight the dead. Sam is scared, they're all scared, we're all scared. Bran Stark, who knows is the Night King's number one target, heads to Winterfell's Godswood with Theon and his ironborn men to guard him. Tyrion reluctantly goes to the crypts with the other non-combatants, but you can tell he's not very happy about it. Sansa and Arya watch from the walls as the united armies of the living assemble outside the castle with all our favourites on the front line. Brienne, Jamie, Tormund, Pod, Gendry, the Hound and more. 
Grey Worm leads the Unsullied into formation, while Sam finally joins Dolores Ed on the battlefield, despite his terror. Even Ghost is getting in on the action, joining Jorah and the Dothraki as part of the cavalry. On a hill near Winterfell, Jon and Daenerys watch their troops, biding their time before they mount Drogon and Rhaegal and fly into battle. From his position on the battlements, Sir Davos notices a figure on horseback approaching the castle. It's Melisandre, having returned from Volantis to fight despite being banished by Jon Snow for sacrificing Shireen Baratheon. Melisandre has the Dothraki raise their arax, the curved swords they use in battle, and uses her magic to light them on fire, and it's cool as. As she approaches the castle, Melisandre tells the Grey Worm, Valar Magulis, all men must die. Cheery. Davos reluctantly allows her inside Winterfell as he's still furious that she killed his former king's daughter and his beloved friend. Melisandre reassures him that she'll be dead before the dawn before giving Arya a Paddington stare. There's no more time to prepare. The Night King's army has arrived and the battle must begin. Jorah, Ghost and the Dothraki begin to charge towards the Whites as Winterfell's trebuchets hurl flaming debris towards the dead. The two forces collide, and as the troops near the castle peer through the snowstorm, they see the Dothraki's fiery swords slowly extinguish one by one. Eventually, Ghost, Jorah and a handful of Dothraki retreat to the castle. The entire Dothraki army have been decimated. Daenerys watches the carnage from the hilltop in anguish, and though Jon tries to warn her, she mounts Drogon and joins the fight. The Whites approach the castle, and Arya tells Sansa to get to the crypts, arming her with a dragonglass dagger. When Sansa protests that she doesn't know how to fight, Arya reminds her sister to stick them with the pointy end, just as Jon told her back in season one. Outside Winterfell, a brutal skirmish is underway. Brienne is almost overwhelmed by Whites, but Jaime covers her back. Jorah is tackled from his horse, and the warriors are forced to dodge Whites approaching from all sides. Drogon gives them some respite, breathing fire on the undead, thinning their forces a little, and Daenerys is joined in the sky by Jon and Rhaegar. But the White Walkers bring a fierce snowstorm that makes it difficult for Daenerys and Jon to keep a grip on their dragons, and even more difficult for flames to have any effect on anything. Back on the ground, Sam is tackled by a white and almost killed, but Ed saves him and pulls Sam to his feet. It's Ed's final heroic act, however, as moments later he's stabbed by a white. R.I.P. Dolores Ed, 999th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch and the first major casualty of the Battle of Winterfell. With the undead overwhelming them, the living fall back to the gates of Winterfell and the Unsullied cover their retreat. From the castle walls, Arya shoots a flaming arrow to stop a white chasing the hound. Oh, she does care. Grey Worm raises a defensive trench around Winterfell and Davos signals to Daenerys to set it alight with dragonfire, but she can't see him through the snow. Luckily for them, they have a fire priestess on their side. The Unsullied form a shield wall around Melisandre and bring her, albeit annoyingly slowly, to the fortifications. She makes incantations to the Lord of Light in increasing desperation as the undead draw closer to her. Just as the Whites reach her, the trench bursts into flames, holding the Night King's army back for now. Down in the crypts, Tyrion laments that he's unable to help the armies above ground as he did during the Battle of Blackwater in Season 2. Sansa bluntly reminds him that he would die pretty quickly out there, and the bravest thing they can do is be honest about their limitations. They reminisce about their short-lived marriage, but Sansa's comments about Daenerys anger Missande, who reminds her they'd all be dead without the Dragon Queen. That's a beef to save for another time. In the Godswood, Theon tries to apologise to Bran for everything he did to the Starks. Bran, who's now a pretty emotionless three-eyed raven, don't forget, tells Theon that his actions, for better or worse, led him back home when they needed him most. Bran walks into ravens and watches the Night King order the Whites to step into the flaming trench. As the bodies pile up, the remaining undead are able to cross the fiery barricade. The Whites climb the walls of Winterfell and those left alive begin to fight on the battlements. Arya joins the fray with her awesome new staff, cutting down Whites like she's carving a cake. Meanwhile, the Hound is frozen in fear yet again. The undead are bad enough, but his fear of fire really is not helping things. Come on, fella. Beric tries to motivate him to fight, but the Hound insists that they're in a war against death, which is a battle they can't win. Beric draws his attention to Arya, who's struggling against the onslaught of Whites, and the Hound is shocked into action and runs to protect his former prisoner. An undead giant breaches the door of Winterfell, tossing Lyanna Mormont to the side. Blooded and broken, she struggles to her feet and charges at the giant, which grabs her and crushes her ribcage. 
As a final act of defiance, Liana stabs the giant in the eye and the two collapse to the ground. Liana dies, but no one can deny that she fought with the strength of ten men, just as she always said she would. In the skies above Winterfell, the Night King arrives riding Viserion. Daenerys and Jon give chase. Beneath the ground, Sansa and the women and children hear soldiers begging to be let into the crypts, but the sound slowly dies away as the undead army heads further inside Winterfell. As we move into horror movie mode, Arya is alone in the deserted library and flits from bookcase to bookcase hiding from approaching whites. She's eventually spotted and they pursue her through the corridors. Beric and the Hound find her pinned down by a white. Beric holds them off while the Hound carries Arya to safety, but it comes at a cost. With Thoros of Mere dead, there'll be no more resurrections for Beric Dondarrion, and the devout warrior succumbs to his wounds for the final time. R.I.P. You M.V.P. At that moment, Melisandre arrives and reminds Arya of the prophecy she gave her when they first met back in Season 3 as the Red Priestess was busy abducting Gendry for her evil schemes. Melisandre told Arya she would shut many eyes forever. Brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. Before Arya returns to the battle, Melisandre repeats the words of her old water-dancing instructor, Sirio Pharrell. What do we say to the God of Death? Not today, Arya replies. We finally get our dance of dragons, as up in the air, Rhaegal and Viserion get stuck into one another. Rhaegal forces Viserion to the ground and the Night King falls off, but Rhaegal is also severely injured and has to land. Jon hits the dirt hard. Daenerys spots the Night King on the battlefield and strafes him with dragon fire, but it fails to kill him. Targaryen heritage, perhaps? Hmm. Daenerys is forced to retreat and Drogon narrowly avoids the Night King's ice javelin. Jon pursues the Night King as he approaches Winterfell, but before he reaches him, we get hard home too, and the Night King raises his arms and reanimates the corpses on the battlefield, now including the undead Ed and Lyanna Mormont. The bodies in the crypts also spring to life, much to the horror of the civilians and to the delight of a million armchair warriors who screamed, I told you so, at the screen. Probably. Drogon and Daenerys cover Jon's back from the hordes of white so he can head to protect Bran. The undead have already reached the godswood and Theon's ironborn soldiers are beginning to fall one by one. After Jon leaves, whites begin to climb Drogon's back and he accidentally throws Daenerys off before he flies away. Daenerys is left alone on the battlefield, surrounded by hundreds of whites. She looks doomed, but Ser Jorah, her ever-faithful advisor, suddenly appears to defend her. Daenerys also grabs a sword from the ground and starts stabbing whites, but the pair are surrounded. Look, things are bleak. The civilians are suddenly thrown into the battle as the undead chase them through the crypts. Sansa and Tyrion say a silent farewell before Tyrion heads towards the whites too, intending to fight them off. Jon's path to Bran is blocked by Viserion's blue flames, which have engulfed the castle courtyard. Theon is Bran's last defence against the Night King, who arrives in the godswood with a posse of White Walkers. Bran tells Theon he's a good man, and that encourages Theon to attack the Night King in defence of his adopted brother. However, the Night King impales Theon, and he slowly bleeds out in the snow. Across Winterfell, the living make one final stand. Jaime and Brienne keep fighting on the battlements against overwhelming odds. Outside the castle, Jorah is stabbed over and over again, but keeps on fighting to defend his queen, who gets in a few good kills herself. Jon stares down Viserion in the courtyard. It takes a lot of courage to scream in the face of an undead dragon, but no one ever accused Jon of cowardice. All seems lost. In the godswood, the Night King stares down at Bran. As he reaches for his sword, Arya Stark appears from the darkness and leaps towards him. The Night King turns and grabs her by the throat, and she drops the Valyrian steel dagger that Bran gave her, the one that was used in the attempt on his life back in Season 1, and also began the war between the Starks and the Lannisters. Using a move she practiced against Brienne in Season 7, Arya catches the dagger in her other hand and plunges it into the Night King's side in the exact same spot and the exact same location as he was created all that time ago by the Children of the Forest. The Night King shatters into fragments of ice, the White Walkers disintegrate and the Whites slowly collapse to the ground. The army of the dead has been defeated and we all breathe and cry and cheer. With victory assured, Jorah finally falls to the ground. His wounds are too severe to overcome. Daenerys weeps and cradles her friend as Jorah dies and the Honourable House Mormont dies with him. Dawn breaks over Winterfell while the stunned survivors of the battle re-emerge into the light. 
Melisandre walks out of the castle, and Davos follows her, presumably to make sure she doesn't escape justice for Shireen's murder. The Red Priestess takes off her necklace, the object that kept her young and strong, and tosses it to the ground. From afar, Davos sees her slowly age and kneel down in the snow. Her purpose for the Lord of Light has been fulfilled, and Melisandre is the final casualty of the Battle of Winterfell. For now, I'm going to go and have a sit down. We open upon the body of Jorah Mormont, a fallen hero now knelt over by the grieving queen he died to save. A sorrowful Daenerys crouches low to kiss his cheek and then whispers something unheard into her loyal knight's ear. Nearby, Sansa weeps over the body of Theon. She pulls her pin bearing the Stark Wolf sigil and places it upon him in a final act of Theon's restoration as a member of the Stark family. In the snow outside Winterfell's gates, the survivors stand before dozens of funeral pyres heavy with the bodies of those fallen in the Battle of Winterfell. John makes a heartfelt speech in memory of their brothers and sisters who died so that others may live, declaring them the shields that guarded the realms of men. Torches are carried to the pyres, the fires are lit and the bodies burned. Later inside the walls of Winterfell, a rowdy feast is underway. Gendry notices Arya's absence and asks the Hound if he's seen her. As he leaves to find her, he's stopped by Daenerys. She bestows him with the title Lord Gendry Baratheon of Storm's End, a move that is celebrated with raised cups and cheers from everyone. Tyrion states to Daenerys she now has a lord at Storm's End who will be forever loyal. She points out to him that he's not the only one who's clever. Elsewhere at the feast, Davos tells Tyrion he never got the chance to kill Melisandre, as she instead killed herself, or at least her god did. He continues to stew over the fact that they've won the Lord of Light's war, but he's nowhere to be seen. Tyrion then talks with Bran. He notes that Bran's knowledge will be useful in his role as Lord of Winterfell. However, ever the ray of sunshine, Bran tells him he's not Lord of Winterfell, doesn't really want it, as he doesn't really want for anything anymore. <sighs> Tyrion says he envies him, but is told he shouldn't, as Bran mostly lives in the past now, a bit like a Tory. Alcohol flows freely, as Jon is challenged by Tormund to neck a horn of drink in celebration of their victory. Tormund raises his own drink in a toast to the Dragon Queen. Daenerys then raises a toast to Arya, the hero of Winterfell. The room erupts into cheers and the chugging of ale. Sansa, meanwhile, casts yet another side glance at Daenerys before leaving the party. She might have seen the coffee cup. Tyrion sits with Jaime, Brienne and Podrick as his drinking game of truth and lies gets a long overdue airing. Every time someone makes a declaration that is true about the other person, the other person must drink. The questions begin in a light-hearted manner, and Brienne dutifully swigs. Tormund is getting excited again as he waxes lyrical about his man-crush, John riding dragons and coming back from the dead to fight again. Daenerys looks on with obvious concern at the love and esteem everyone has for her still-secret nephew. She then watches the Lannister boys laughing and joking, and seemingly feels suddenly alone in a very crowded room. She stands to leave, walking past an equally concerned Varys. Back at the drinking game, Tyrion offends Brienne by stating she's still a virgin. She leaves and is swiftly followed by Jaime, much to the disappointment of Tormund. <laughs> Sansa sits with the Hound. He tells her had she left King's Landing with him years earlier, she wouldn't have suffered the way she has. But she replies saying had she not gone through all those things at the hands of Littlefinger and Ramsay, she would still be the same little bird she was back then. Outside, Gendry finally finds Arya practising her archery skills away from the celebration. Take a day off. He announces he's been made Lord of Storm's End and then drops to one knee and clumsily proposes to her. Arya kisses him before declaring he'll be a wonderful lord, but she's not a lady, and never has been, and leaves Gendry broken-hearted. Jaime visits Brienne in her room, comments how hot it is before beginning to undress. He then moves to unfasten her shirt. Eventually they both get naked, and in a turn-up for the books, something goes bump in the night. Mm. Quite literally. In another room, John and Daenerys look like they're also about to get close when John pulls away. The knowledge of his true self is causing issues in their relationship. Daenerys shares her concerns over how the people love John but not her. She desperately tells him to tell nobody about his true identity and to get Sam and Bran to swear to do the same. John replies that he must tell Sansa and Arya, but Daenerys says Sansa will want him on the Iron Throne instead of her and that the truth will destroy them. 
She begs him to keep the secret, warning him that it's the only way the families can live together. Later in the war room, strategy is in the air. Grey Worm states half the Unsullied are gone. John says the Northmen are gone too. Daenerys states her intention to hit Cersei hard, ripping her out root and stem. However, her tactics are met with disapproval from Tyrion, who wants to save the city from destruction. A new plan is drawn with the intention of starving the city until the people realise that Cersei is their only enemy. Sansa declares the men need rest after the recent battle with the dead. Daenerys doesn't take this news well, and the two lock horns yet again. Jon steps in and says that whatever Daenerys commands, the North will obey. It's decided that Jon and Davos will ride south with an army, whilst a smaller group will sail to Dragonstone with Daenerys and the dragons. It's also announced that Jaime will stay at Winterfell as a guest, cue a sheepishly smiling Brienne. Before they leave, Arya and Sansa say they need a word with Jon. In the Godswood, accompanied by Bran, they tell Jon that they just don't trust Daenerys. They say the four of them are the last of the Starks and should stick together. When Arya steps forward announcing he's her brother, not a half or bastard brother, Jon looks to Bran, who says it's Jon's choice. Yeah, cheers, mate. Jon tells his sisters he has something to tell them, but they must swear not to breathe a word to anyone else. He then puts it on Bran to break the news that Jon is actually Aegon Targaryen. Back at you, fella. Inside, as Tyrion tries to get some juicy details from Jaime about Brienne, they're interrupted by an old friend. It's Bronn, ominously armed with Joffrey's crossbow. After punching Tyrion in the face, Bronn tells them of his deal with Cersei to kill them both in exchange for Riverrun, but that he has doubts she'll survive the conflict. In exchange for their lives, Tyrion strikes a new improved deal, offering Bronn Highgarden's payment after the war should they win. Bronn accepts the offer and leaves, telling them he'll find them after the war is over. The following morning, the Hound rides out of Winterfell bound for King's Landing. He curses as he's joined by Arya. They pass on pleasantries, say how they've both unfinished business in the capital and that neither have plans to return to Winterfell. Then the veteran duo of one of the greatest road trips of all time set out on the road again. Hooray! Sansa is joined by Tyrion on the walls of Winterfell. She questions him about Daenerys' suitability as queen. Tyrion tells her she just wants to make the world a better place and that he believes in her. However, Sansa asks him, what if there was someone better than her? Secrets don't fare too well in Winterfell, do they? In the courtyard, there are fond farewells underway. Tormund and Jon share a moment before they head their separate ways. Tormund is to take the free folk back through Castle Black to the north. Jon asks him to take his direwolf ghost with him. Sam and Gilly then come to say their goodbyes to Jon. He notices that Gilly is pregnant and is told if they have a boy, they'll name him Jon, to which Jon answers that he hopes it's a girl. They'll still name it Jon. Sam and John hug and declare they're the best friends each has ever had. As he walks away, John casts a final sad glance to Ghost and rides away from Winterfell. Daenerys' fleet is on the water and fast approaching Dragonstone. Below decks, Tyrion and Varys discuss the situation about John's true identity. Varys states the news will travel quickly now. Tyrion suggests a marriage between John and Daenerys could be a solution, but is told it's too unconventional as their auntie and nephew. Fair enough. Varys highlights that Daenerys will not want to share the throne and that he's worried about her mental state. In the sky overhead, Daenerys rides Drogon alongside Rhaegal as they soar towards Dragonstone. A sudden bolt from the blue shakes Daenerys to her core. Rhaegal is struck in the chest by a huge crossbow bolt and begins to struggle and cry out. A second bolt catches the dragon's wing and a third plunges straight through its neck bringing the dragon crashing from the sky into the sea below. Another bolt narrowly misses Daenerys, and from around the point sailed a fleet of Euron Greyjoy with the grinning lunatic himself sat at the trigger of an oversized mounted crossbow. Furious, Daenerys screams as she drives Drogon towards the fleet, only to be forced away at the last moment under another avalanche of bolts. Euron sets its sight upon Daenerys' ships and lets rip. Bolts tear through the vessels, shredding their timber. Under the barrage, Tyrion makes a desperate bid for escape and leaps into the water. As he surfaces, the huge mast seems to crash down upon him. We pick things up on the beach of Dragonstone. Varys coughs up a substantial amount of the sea and Tyrion gasps for breath. Behind them, a frantic Grey Worm calls out desperately as he searches for Missandei, running back in the sea as he looks for her. In King's Landing, we finally catch up with Cersei. Euron brings news of his successful attack and the death of one dragon. Cersei tells him that when the war is won, their child will rule both the land and the sea. This statement delights Euron. He tells her that Daenerys is coming for her. But Cersei then orders the gates of the Red Keep to be left open for her people to enter for safety. 
also noting that if Daenerys attacks, she'll have to kill thousands of innocent people in the process. As she leaves, she walks past her newly chained prisoner, Missandei. In Dragonstone, Grey Worm tells Daenerys that they will storm the city and kill her enemies for her. However, Varys says this is a terrible idea. He points out that thousands of innocents will die and that these are the people she vowed to protect. Daenerys says she's there to rid the world of tyrants and she'll follow this destiny regardless of the cost. Tyrion suggests demanding Cersei surrender. Despite believing this to be hopeless, Daenerys agrees so at least the people can see she tried. Later, Varys and Tyrion again discuss the situation. This time Varys suggests that perhaps Jon would be the better ruler and Tyrion, despite his best efforts, has difficulty arguing against the idea. He despairingly asks Varys not to act against Daenerys, but Varys answers that they both have a choice to make and prays that they choose wisely. Back in Winterfell, Jaime's told of Euron's attack and the loss of the dragon, ships and men. Later that night, he dresses and leaves a sleeping Brienne in bed. She catches him as he prepares his horse outside. Pleading with him through tears to stay with her, Jaime tells her of the things he has done for his sister. Pushing Bran from a tower, strangling his cousin to get back to Cersei, not strictly true actually, and how he would have murdered everyone in Riverrun for her. He tells her he's not a good man, he's a hateful man. He then rides away from a weeping Brienne. Outside the gates of King's Landing, Daenerys, Tyrion, Varys and a small band of Unsullied led by Grey Worm are in town to demand Cersei's surrender. As the gates open, Kyburn walks out and Tyrion meets him. He tells Kyburn the demands, to which he responds by announcing that should Daenerys not surrender, Missandei will die today. Tyrion seeks a solution that will save the city and its people, but Kyburn refuses to listen, so Tyrion strides past him mid-flow to speak directly to his sister. From the top of the King's Landing walls, Cersei commands her archers to lower their bows. Tyrion attempts to appeal to Cersei. He tells her she's not a monster, that she's always loved her children above all else, and begs her to surrender for the sake of her unborn baby. Despite momentarily appearing moved, Cersei quickly steals herself, moves to Missandei, and tells her to choose her last words. <laughs> Missandei looks out at Grey Worm, and in a final act of love and bold defiance, announced Dracarys. Cersei turns to the mountain, who unsheathes his sword and beheads her to the utter horror of Grey Worm. With Missandei's body in the dirt below, Daenerys, eyes burning fury, turns and walks away. Brace yourself, people. This is going to get bloody. We begin with Varys in his chambers at Dragonstone. He's writing one of the many notes revealing Jon Snow's true identity, weakening Daenerys' claim to the Iron Throne. But we don't yet know who he's sending them to. Martha, one of Varys's little birds who works in the kitchens, arrives and tells him that Daenerys is refusing to eat. Varys tells her they will try again at supper, implying that he might have been trying to poison his queen's food. Later, he greets Jon Snow as he arrives on the island, with Jon bringing news that their army is only a few days away from King's Landing. Varys reveals that he knows about Jon's real parents and tries to persuade him to seize the throne as Daenerys may succumb to the fabled Targaryen madness, but Jon's having none of it and remains loyal to his queen. Tyrion watches the exchange from afar and realises he must tell Daenerys what Varys is up to. He finds her in the war room looking as though she's barely slept in weeks, clearly missing her hairdresser Missandei. Tyrion tells her she's been betrayed, but Daenerys has already deduced that Jon told Sansa, who told Tyrion, who told Varys. Tyrion tries to persuade Daenerys that he made a mistake rather than something intentionally treasonous, but she doesn't seem too convinced. Later that evening, Varys is arrested in his chambers and brought to the beach, where Daenerys, her advisers and Drogon are waiting. Tyrion confesses that he was the one who grasped him up, but Varys forgives him and says goodbye but not before saying that he hopes he's wrong about Daenerys' ruthlessness. Daenerys calmly sentences Varys to die, and Drogon burns him alive in the same spot that Melisandre made her original sacrifice to the Lord of Light all those years ago. Later on, Daenerys gives Grey Worm Missandei's old slave collar, which was the only possession she brought with her across the narrow sea. Grey Worm recognises quite rightly that this is a terrible gift and throws it in the fire. Daenerys allows Jon Snow to come speak with her, but immediately blames Sansa for Varys' death and laments that she will never be loved in Westeros like Jon is, saying that all she has on her side is fear. Jon tells Daenerys he loves her and that he's loyal to her as his queen, which encourages Daenerys to seduce Jon, but he can't bring himself to go through with it. Daenerys doesn't take the rejection well and decides that fear will have to do instead of love. In the throne room, she announces her intention to sack King's Landing and orders the rest of her men to sail there immediately. Tyrion is horrified and begs her to allow the Lannister forces to surrender if she hears the city bells ringing. 
He also learns that Jamie's been captured trying to return to Cersei, and Daenerys warns him that if he fails her again, he's going to end up dead. Ever the rebel, Tyrion instantly betrays Daenerys upon arriving at King's Landing by asking Davos to help him smuggle something into the city. That evening, Arya and the Hound swan past the lax northern security and make their way into King's Landing. Elsewhere in the camp, Tyrion pulls rank over the soldiers guarding Jaime and tells his brother he'll free him so he can try and persuade Cersei to surrender for the sake of their unborn child, telling him to head beneath the Red Keep to the room full of dragon skulls where they met last season. From there, Jaime and Cersei are to use a tunnel to reach the Blackwater, or a boat will be waiting for them setting sail to Pentos. Before their escape is to ring the bells to signal the Lannister surrender and save the population of King's Landing from Daenerys's wrath. Tyrion releases his brother and thanks him for being the only person who was ever kind to him as a child. We all share in their tearful goodbye. Day breaks over King's Landing and the Iron Fleet await the beginning of Daenerys' siege. Civilians barricade themselves in their homes to wait it out. The Golden Company, led by Harry Strickland, meets Daenerys' army outside the city walls, while Lannister soldiers aim Kyburn's scorpion crossbows at the sky in preparation for Drogon. Arya and the Hound make it inside the Red Keep just in time before the gates are shut, but Jaime isn't so lucky, and is forced to take an alternate route to find Cersei, who's watching her forces assemble from a window of the castle. On his ship, Euron sees Daenerys and Drogon arrive, and battle commences. Drogon gets to work with brutal efficiency, and Euron has to abandon ship. So much for the Iron Fleet. Not content just to take out the entire Greyjoy Marder in one fell swoop, Drogon destroys the city gates and decimates all that stand in the way. So much for the Golden Company. Harry Strickland flees as Daenerys' army charge towards the city in a scene that's reminiscent of Jon's stand against the Boltons at the Battle of the Bastards. Harry Strickland swiftly meets the pointy end of Grey Worm's spear. Aided by Drogon, Daenerys' army heads further into the city and Tyrion watches the carnage unfold behind them. In the Red Keep, Kyburn tries to warn Cersei that the battle is lost with the Iron Fleet and the Scorpions destroyed. Cersei maintains that the Red Keep will not fall today and that the Lannister men will fight fiercely to protect their queen. Hmm. Sure enough, Jon's vanguard of soldiers falls into a standoff with a group of Lannisters who promptly admit defeat in the face of the overwhelming odds. A cry goes up around the city to ring the bells, the sign that Tyrion told Daenerys meant the city was surrendering. It's a tense few moments, but finally the bells begin to ring. Don't break out the Prosecco just yet though, things get really bleak. On top of Drogon, Daenerys stares at the Red Keep with tears of rage in her eyes. Her vengeance has been denied her. Or has it? She begins to fly towards the castle, strafing the surrendered soldiers and civilians of King's Landing with dragonfire for good measure. This encourages Grey Worm to initiate an attack on the Lannisters, much to Jon's horror, but all rules of combat have been thrown out of the window. King's Landing becomes a bloodbath. Men, women and children are being killed in the streets, either by dragonfire, collapsing buildings or the cruelty of Daenerys' army. Caches of wildfire, perhaps the ones the Mad King was rumoured to have stashed around King's Landing, begin to explode as flames spread throughout the city. Jon saves a woman from being raped by a northern soldier, but try as he might, he's unable to shake his men of their bloodlust. Drogon reaches the Red Keep and begins to destroy the building, just as Jaime arrives at the secret entrance to the castle, where he's met by Euron. Euron goads Jamie into a fight by telling him he slept with Cersei, and after a brutal scuffle, stabs Jamie twice in his side. But Jamie scrambles for his sword and ultimately impales Euron. See you, Euron, you mad, wonderful nutcase. Inside the Red Keep, Arya and the Hound make their way towards their targets, Cersei and the Mountain, respectively. The Hound stops Arya and warns her not to become consumed by vengeance like he has, and Arya seems to take this to heart, thanking him and calling him Sandor for the first time before leaving. With the Red Keep collapsing around her, Cersei finally admits defeat and flees the castle with Kyburn, the Mountain and her soldiers. They meet the Hound on a staircase, who takes out Cersei's guards before challenging his brother to a fight to the death. The Mountain, who in his undead state has always followed orders, seems to recognise the Hound. Kyburn orders the mountain to protect Cersei, but he smashes Kyburn's head against the wall, killing him instantly. It's the same thing he did to Elia Martell's children during Robert's rebellion in the last successful siege of King's Landing. Cersei sensibly tiptoes past the pair like Homer Simpson disappearing into a hedge, and the mountain and the hound begin to duel. As the castle crumbles further, Jaime finds his sister, and the twins head down to the bottom of the castle to make their escape.
back on the staircase, the hound lands what ought to be a killing blow on the mountain, stabbing him through the stomach. But lest we forget, the mountain isn't strictly alive anymore, and he won't go down quite so easily. He throws the hound down the stairs and viciously attacks his brother again and again. Outside, Arya tries to escape the city and gets caught up with the terrified civilians. As she runs for her life, she sees the innocent victims of the war, those bleeding out in the streets with crushed limbs and horrific burns, and is nearly trampled by the crowd but gets pulled to her feet by a woman and her young daughter before being hit by a burst of rubble. The Clegane brothers continue to face off, but no matter how many times the hound stabs his brother, it keeps on coming. The mountain pins the hound to the wall and tries to gouge out his eyes, just as he did to Oberyn Martell back in Season 4. But the hound pours Lyanna Mormont and stabs the mountain through the head, but even this doesn't make a difference. Finally realising what must be done, the hound charges at his brother, tackling the mountain through the crumbling walls of the tower. The Clegane brothers fall to their deaths in the fire below the castle. See you, Sandor, you chicken-eating hero. As the flames threaten to engulf everyone in King's Landing, John orders Daenerys' army to fall back out of the city. Elsewhere, Arya narrowly avoids being crushed by a collapsing tower. She tries to rescue the woman and child who save her from being trampled, but they're both incinerated by Drogon. In the bowels of the Red Keep, Jaime and Cersei arrive at the tunnel to Blackwater Bay, but the damage to the castle has blocked off the entrance. The Lannister twins realise they can't escape, and Cersei finally begs for her life and that of their unborn child. Jamie holds her and reminds his sister that they're the only people that matter in the world. And together, the Queen and Kingslayer, left with absolutely nothing, are crushed by the collapsing Red Keep. The Queen is dead. Arya sits frozen in shock, watching the death and desolation unfold around her as the city burns. But amid the chaos, an ethereal white horse appears and she slowly approaches it. The horse allows her to mount it, and Arya gallops out of the smouldering remains of King's Landing. For the final time, and with a slight lump in the throat, we begin in King's Landing, or at least what remains of the capital, in the wake of Daenerys' wrath. Tyrion walks sombre-faced through the ashen rubble, witnessing the death and despair that now resides in his former home. Jon and Davos walk just behind him. Tyrion tells him he'll find them later. Jon warns him it's unsafe and that he should take some men, to which Tyrion replies he's going alone before heading deeper into the city. He walks past the many bodies and the fallen broken bell that rang to no avail during the attack, headed for what remains of the Red Keep. On the streets, Grey Worm has a line of Lannister soldiers on their knees for execution. Jon intervenes, telling him the war is over and that the men are prisoners. Grey Worm says he's following Daenerys' commands to kill all who follow Cersei. As he draws his blade, Jon grabs his arm, resulting in the gathered unsullied, lowering spears ready for attack. Davos, ever the peacemaker, diffuses the situation, telling Jon he should go and see Daenerys. As Jon walks away, Grey Worm begins the executions. Tyrion walks across what remains of the map room and picks up a torch. He begins his descent to the passage he'd told Jamie to use in his bid to rescue Cersei, and is met at the bottom by the same fallen walls blocking the exit that halted Jamie's escape. Climbing onto the rubble, he immediately sees the golden hand of his brother protruding from the fallen roof. In a really emotional scene, Tyrion begins to remove the blocks. He finds his brother and sister, side by side, dead. Lost to grief and anger, Tyrion weeps. Arya arrives at the courtyard and watches the celebratory Dothraki warriors. She then sees Jon walking towards the steps of the keep and follows from the sidelines. Jon's met at the top of the steps by Grey Worm before Drogon roars overhead and lands. Daenerys strides forward dressed all in black and looks out across her armies and delivers her first speech as Queen of Westeros in Valyrian, telling them they've killed her enemies in iron suits and torn down their stone houses, giving her the Seven Kingdoms. She makes Grey Worm her master of war and then praises the Unsullied, saying they are now liberators, not slaves, but that the war is not yet over. She delivers the news that they will liberate all the people of the world and break the wheel. The Unsullied respond with a raucous pounding of spears upon the ground, and Drogon roars as an emotional, adrenaline-soaked Daenerys looks out over the victorious scene. Tyrion anxiously walks forward to her side. She quietly tells him he's a traitor for releasing Jaime. Tyrion counters that he did indeed free his brother, but that she slaughtered a whole city. He pulls the hand of the king emblem from his chest and tosses it down the steps, bringing silence across the courtyard. A furious Daenerys has him taken prisoner. 
John and Daenerys then share a lingering look before she walks away. Arya suddenly appears at John's side, she's got a bit of a habit of doing that, and says she came to kill Cersei but that his queen got there first. She then tells John that he'll always be a threat to Daenerys because of his heritage and that she knows a killer when she sees one. John visits Tyrion in his cell. Tyrion's pondering whether his imminent death is justice for betraying Varys but says he'd betray Daenerys again now that he's seen what she's done to the people of King's Landing. John states that the war's over now, but Tyrion doubts that to be true, saying Daenerys' true nature is fire and blood after all. The pair argue, Tyrion declaring she killed more in a day than Cersei or his father Tywin did in an entire lifetime, with John countering that he saw her friend, Missandei, beheaded and her dragons killed. Tyrion asks John if he would have burnt the city himself, but keen not to betray his queen, John says he doesn't know. Eager was right. Tyrion lists the many deaths of evil men at the hands of Daenerys on her journey and how the celebration and validation of this has seen her grow ever more sure that she is on the right side. He says he knows Jon loves her, and he does too, that he believed in her with all his heart. Jon recounts Maester Aemon's words that love is the death of duty. Tyrion reminds Jon he's the shield that guards the realms of men, asking him who is the greatest threat to the people now. He says what he's asking is terrible, but right, pointing out that he's not likely to be the last man Daenerys executes, before suggesting that actually Jon is more dangerous to Daenerys than anyone because he's the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Jon goes to leave, but a desperate Tyrion asks if his sisters will bend the knee, and why he thinks Sansa told him about Jon's true identity. Jon says they don't get to choose who is on the throne, to which Tyrion responds that Jon does, and he must choose now. Walking towards the throne room, Jon is stopped by Drogon emerging from beneath a blanket of the ashes of the dead. The dragon moves face to face with Jon, recognises him and lets him pass. Inside, Daenerys finally stands before the Iron Throne. She approaches slowly, looking over the legendary seat with a mixture of delight, disbelief and complete awe. She places a hand upon it in a similar way to her vision of the throne in the House of the Undying, then turns and sees Jon enter. Daenerys tells him that as a little girl she imagined the throne would be much bigger. Jon stops her and says he saw Lannister soldiers being executed in the street on her orders. He asks if she's seen the carnage, the little children burned. Daenerys answered that she tried to make peace with Cersei. Jon asks about Tyrion and is told he conspired against her. He asks her to forgive him, to forgive everyone and make them understand. He's pleading with her, but she answers that the world they need won't be built by the men from the world they have. She approaches him and says the new world will be a good world. She says it's their reason for being from when they were little children. They will break the wheel together. Jon says that she is his queen now and always. And they kiss. As they're locked together in a lover's embrace, Jon sinks a dagger into Daenerys' heart. Shocked, she falls backwards and is held by Jon as blood trickles from her mouth and nose. And Daenerys Stormborn of the House Targaryen, first of her name, the Unburnt, Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains and Mother of Dragons, dies before the Iron Throne that she didn't even get to sit on. As Jon holds her body, the sound of Drogon's tortured roars echo from the background and the dragon lands in the throne room. He nudges Daenerys' lifeless body, then screams to the skies before unleashing a jet of flames that melt the Iron Throne where it sits. Drogon then picks up Daenerys' body and flies from King's Landing towards the distant horizon. We're now a few weeks after Daenerys' death and Tyrion is escorted away by Grey Worm and led to a gathering of lords and ladies of the Seven Kingdoms, including, among others, Bran, Arya, Sansa, Yara Greyjoy, Brienne, Sam, Davos, Gendry, Edmure, Tully and, in a phenomenal advert for the benefits of breastfeeding, a rather buff-looking Robin Arryn. Sansa asks where Jon is, to which Grey Worm replies that they will decide what to do with their prisoners. Jon must have confessed to him. Angered, Sansa tells them there are thousands of Northmen outside the city who will explain why harming Jon is a bad idea. Yara steps in declaring she was loyal to Daenerys. Jon put a knife in her heart and he should be left to the unsullied to dish out justice. Arya replies that should Yara say another word about Jon, she'll cut her throat, which unsurprisingly does the trick. Davos, as ever, acts peacemaker and offers Grey Worm land and the chance to start his own house with the Unsullied as Bannermen. Grey Worm says they want justice, not payment, that Jon Snow cannot go free. At this point, Tyrion speaks, saying it's not for Grey Worm to decide, but he's quickly shouted down by the ferocious Unsullied leader. Tyrion, however, repeats that Jon's fate should be decided by a king or queen, and tells the gathered lords and ladies to choose one. 
Edmure Tully steps forward first and begins to make his case for the throne, but is brutally told in no uncertain terms to sit back down by Sansa. He sheepishly does. Sam suggests letting the people choose a new ruler, but this theory of democracy is met by raucous laughter and he quickly sits down too. Davos asks Tyrion who he thinks it should be, and Tyrion declares that the thing that unites people there is stories, and nobody has a better story than Bran the Broken. A boy who couldn't walk so learned to fly, who crossed the wall to become the three-eyed raven, who is the keeper of all of their memories. Sansa points out he can't father children. Yeah, thanks, sis. But Tyrion says that's a good thing, as his children can never torment them, and this is the wheel Daenerys wanted to break. Tyrion asks Bran if chosen, will he be king? To which Bran replies in his own style, why do you think I came all this way? It's put to a vote. All are in favour until it gets to Sansa. She turns to Bran and says that Winterfell will remain independent, to which he nods in agreement. Tyrion then hails Bran the Broken, not sure how happy he is with the nickname to be honest, Lord of the Six Kingdoms, and Bran even almost raises a smile. Almost. Bran tells Tyrion he'll serve as his hand, and despite declining, he's forced the job as a chance to fix the many mistakes he's made during his life. Tyrion visits Jon in his cell and tells him it's to rejoin the Night's Watch as punishment. John asks if killing Daenerys was right because it doesn't feel it, to which Tyrion says, ask him again in ten years. Grey Worm and the Unsullied leave King's Landing on ships bound for Narth. The destination is lost love Missandei said she wanted them to go to after the war. Well. As John leaves, he meets Arya, Sansa and Bran waiting for him at the docks to share their sweet goodbyes. He tells Sansa the North is free thanks to her and that she's the best they could ask for. A tearful Arya tells him she's going to find out what lies west of Westeros, where the maps end, following the same dream she told Lady Crane about in Season 6. Jon kneels before Bran and apologises for not being there for him when needed, but Bran replies that Jon was exactly where he was supposed to be, and the three watch Jon leave. Brienne is turning the pages of the old Book of Nights when she stops at Jaime's, takes a quill, and begins to write his legacy, including the last line declaring he died protecting his queen. Tyrion holds the first small council meeting present at Bran, Davos, Master of Ships, Brienne, Commander of the King's Guard, Grand Maester Sam, and Bronn, Master of Coin. Hmm. Sam presents Tyrion with the book A Song of Ice and Fire, detailing the history of the wars. Tyrion's deeply disappointed to find out he's not in the book, much to the amusement of the others. Bran asks about Drogon and says perhaps he can find him, before telling them to carry on without him. A new knight, Sir Podrick, then enters to take Bran from the room. As the meeting commences, Bronn, as Master of Coin, argues for brothels being more important than ships to King's Landing, and business, as usual, is resumed in the capital. John arrives at Castle Black. As the gates open, he sees Tormund waiting for him. In a montage, we watch the Stark children prepare for their futures. Sansa is crowned as Queen. Arya prepares her weapons needle and the Valyrian steel dagger for a journey. John lifts Longclaw from a table. Arya then walks to the deck of a ship bearing the Stark wolf sigil on its sail, bound for adventure. And John meets one of his oldest, dearest friends when he crouches down to stroke his dire wolf ghost. We end Game of Thrones, watching John ride out of Castle Black with Ghost, Tormund and the Wildlings. He glances back briefly as the gate to the south closes behind him and then smiles as he rides deep into the forests beyond the wall. The end. Thanks for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Listen, if you've enjoyed this, I would love it if you subscribed. We've got loads more shows where this came from, and we'd love you to join us for them. If you know someone who needs to get up to speed with Thrones, just send them our way. A five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from would also be absolutely fantastic. If you've got any feedback, have I pronounced the name wrong? I hope I haven't. Or ideas for a show that we should be covering. We'll almost certainly be doing the big ones, but you never know. There may be others that we've missed. Let us know. I'd love to hear from you over on Twitter. You can find us at Previous Podcast or just email us hello at previouslyon.co.uk. Previously On is presented by Jamie East and is a Daft Doris production.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.